What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Regular listeners will know that we visited with author Jessica Day George on our show. So today, I can't help but give a recommendation for her latest book, Silver in the Blood. Set in 1890, cousins Darcia and Lou are darlings of New York society, but their world changes on a trip to Romania. Meeting their mother's estranged relatives, the girls uncover long-held secrets about their family's supernatural abilities. At the center is a prophecy that connects their family to the Draculas. The girls expose a plot designed to unseat the king and place their family on the throne. With little knowledge of the history that binds them, the girls must learn whom they can trust as they come to terms with their newly discovered powers. Supported by unexpected allies both inside and outside the family, the girls find it is up to them to save the country. Dacia and Lou are spunky characters that bring with them the fashion and flair of the progressive era with a touch of modern awareness thrown in. The rich Romanian setting has a romantic sensibility that is focused on castles and countrysides that will be familiar to readers of other authors like Bray, Carragher, Trent, and Reed. Letters and diary entries begin each chapter, lending flavor to the 19th century setting and providing emotional insight into the characters. The range of supporting characters also adds flair to the plot and keeps the conflict and suspense high as readers tease out good from evil right along with the girls. Ending with good triumphant and a little hint of romance, this novel will allow readers to follow these girls straight from Rachel's world right into the pages of this delightful novel. When you tuck your child in at night, do you read to them or make up your own stories? Rachel talks to librarian Mark H. Pullum about the importance of reading or telling stories to children. Don't worry about making it a theatrical production, just be you. The most important thing, he says, is that you're spending time with them. Mark is a librarian and puppeteer at the Orem, Utah Public Library. He uses these talents, along with storytelling and acting, every year at the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival in Orem, Utah. Mark Pullum is also co-author of Dressing the Naked Hand, the world's greatest guide to making, staging, and performing with puppets. Here's Rachel with Mark. We have Mark in studio today. Welcome, Mark. Well, I'm happy to be here. Starting out with that, I think it's wonderful because one of the things that we share is the love of stories. And you are an amazing storyteller. You you have great voices and you, you do all the good stuff. So oh, tell us boy. a little bit about this connection that you have to stories and particularly to oral storytelling forms. Well, I, I think it starts in the home for any child. <laughs> and I hope that kids are getting those nursery rhymes and those fairy tales that I was raised on because I remember hearing moms sing fairy tales, telling fairy tales, and then the traditional bedtime story. Now, my mom was a working mother. Uh, you know, she found time to read or tell us stories, and sometimes she would get so tired you know, from working all day. And and then we'd get in bed and she would begin telling us a story. And one thing I always remember 
And I loved about her storytelling is she would begin a story like, all right, once upon a time there were three bears, the mama bear, the papa bear, and the... And she would fall asleep. And here we were all, yeah, yeah. And we'd pat her little cheek and say, Ma. And trip, 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 trip. The three billy goats gruff went over. And we'd say, Mom, no, 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 no. You were telling the three bears. But we loved these stories much better than the stories she was telling. And, of course, her go-to phrase was, I'm just resting my eyes. I know where I'm at. And she'd go off on, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. And by the end, we would have – we would – she'd be out cold sleeping and we would just look at each other and go, that was a great story. And I think stories begin with family stories and, and families telling stories to each other. And around the dinner table, what'd you do in school? Well, let me tell you. And so I think that needs to come back. Just family stories. My um, dad, he had a, a younger brother. Uh, his name was Charles, and he collected all of my dad's brother's letters when they were off to war, World War II, and he compiled them in a book. And it uh, recently I revisited those letters, and every chapter of your life, they mean something a little different because he would get advice from his grand, his father, which was my grandfather, and I would have to just shake my head and say, wow, I can take that advice right now. So I'm grateful for parents who didn't lack on telling me stories. And I think it's really important for parents to write it down. It's not enough to just tell it, but you need to write it also. Uh, If you don't, that's going to be lost. As I, I realized when both my parents passed, that I can't say, tell me that story again. I don't understand it. But luckily, I was able to write some of those stories down. So don't underestimate the power of the pen in writing your family stories. And I think one of the powers of the pen, too, is that different stories attract us differently at different ages. And I know, like, you've had this experience where you read a story at one point in your life and it means something, but 20 years later it means something else. And so I think having that kind of access where we can change and grow and telling stories over and over and over again Mm -hmm. really helps with that. And even writing in a journal. I know that as I read my younger self's journal entries, it helps my older self realize that, yeah, I remember that. And I'm going to cherish those memories and and make more. So write in a journal. You know, don't make it a task, but make it a a fun adventure. And make it a story. And make it a story. And that's one of the things I love about stories in general is just this sense of being able to teach us something so fundamentally important about the human condition, about who we are, what we're here to do, without it being didactic or, you know, pointed. And so I think there's that sense that story teaches us as well, but at the same time it entertains. So how do you how do you kind of balance that entertainment versus instructional component that stories well, provide? That is a good question. As a teacher, uh, you often had lesson plans that were dictated to you. And you had to teach this and you had to teach that. But I would always try to find a story or a book that I could read and digest so that I could thus tell the kids about it. One of my favorite stories is a story from a book in the library. And I found this story years ago. It, as I put away books, it was the ugliest book in the stacks. It was this orange book that was published in 1950. 
And at that time, a lot of the illustrations were just line drawings and not so pretty. But one book really hit me over the head, and it was a book called Petunia. Now, Petunia was a silly goose, and she would spend her time just uh, clipping the dewdrops off the clover. But one day she did find, lying on the ground, this object that she wasn't sure what it was, but she'd seen Billy come home with one, and uh, Farmer Pumpkin said it was a book, and that he who owns books and loves them is wise. Well, Petunia thought, my, my, he who owns books and loves him is wise. And so she took that book everywhere she went. She swam with it. She nested with it. She walked around the barnyard with that book. And because she had that book tight under her wing, she thought, I own a book. I must be very wise. And all the farm animals thought the same. Now, I I could go on, but I don't know. It's It's a fun story. And she gives advice to all the animals, but this advice isn't the best advice that someone should give. Like when Straw the horse had a toothache. Oh, Petunia, my tooth is killing me. Of course, Petunia said, oh, open your mouth. Let's look in. And Straw opened his mouth and there was teeth. And she said, well, look in my mouth. And Petunia the silly goose opened her mouth and there was nothing in her mouth. And so she said, well, I'm going to get the pliers and Pull those suckers out. Well, of course, Straw didn't want that, but she gave the advice because she must be smart. She had a book. She must be wise. It finally comes down to a, a page that I warn the kids is very graphic. And if their parents don't want them to see something graphic, you can close your eyes. The animals find a box on the side of the road, and it says, Danger Firecrackers. Well, Petunia, she has a book, but she can't read. And so when she comes to the animals and says, what is, what's, this, what's this box full of? And she looks at that and says, well, you silly animals. It says, delicious candies. And so all the animals are eating everything in that box. And I open the next page, and it's a big explosion. It just says, boom, with, with fire and everything. Well, she finds that because of her lack of real knowledge, all her friends were, were burnt and singed, and they had bandages on their lips and everything. And then she notices something she never noticed before, and that is that the book lay open at her feet. And she looked for the first time inside the book, and she said, Now I understand. It's not enough to carry wisdom under your wing, but to be truly wise, you must put it in your heart and your mind. And to do that, you must learn to read. And from that day on, she started to learn to read so she could truly help her friends. Well, at that time, I closed the book, and I look at the kids, and I say, You know, this library is full of books. And if we don't open them... We can be as silly as Petunia. A lot of times, storytelling becomes story reading, which is all right, but then you don't get to see the reaction of the faces of the people you're telling the story to. And I think that's really important. You can see by their face, are they getting it? Do I need to repeat something else? So that's the important thing with storytelling. Other than reading straight from a book, as you tell the story, instant, you know, interaction with the kids. And you can ask them questions. Well, do you think he should have said that? What advice would you have given to Petunia? And so you have that string from the book and you're telling the story. I have a lot of teachers wanting books on history and, and different items. And I'll say, you have to do your work on it. And in order to make this part of history really come alive, 
you've got to be able to tell them the story and make those characters as believable as when you read about that. And so I think storytelling does that, and it can either hypnotize and captivate or put someone to sleep. I mean, but if you're telling the story, you can gauge by your audience. Wake up, wake up now, right now. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting because story reading and reading aloud, you know, we don't want to negate the power and importance of that. But there is this sense of storytelling as a performance and more of like a dramatic artistic kind of connection. And that's not something that we all have the talents like you do, Mark, to to do that. But there are ways that people can access that part of storytelling without being the storytellers themselves. Well, and I think one of the most delightful times I had was when a, a librarian was just reading a book. And I think the book was Mousekin, about this little mouse that lived in a pumpkin. And she didn't do too much theatrics, but her storytelling was so true and honest that I just loved hearing it. It made me feel good and warm all over. So you don't necessarily have to do a big performance. And parents don't think they have to to do all of these voices. The most important is you're spending time with someone and you're just having fun talking. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing. I think sometimes people hear a professional storyteller do an amazing rendition of a story. Mm. And then you think, oh, I have to be that same way. But it's not true. What Whatever you have to offer is just as important and just as connective as, as what a professional might have to offer. No, and I like that. And, you know, even more so if you're related to the teller, you're just, you're just smiles as you hear the story. So it is important. Just yeah. tell. That's a wonderful note to end on. Thanks so much, Mark. That was Rachel Wadham with Mark H. Pullum talking about the magic of telling your child a story. In the following conversation on Worlds Awaiting, Rachel visits with author Martine Levitt about her journey to becoming a writer and how she develops her stories and characters. Martine is an award-winning author of books for young adults, with her most recent book being Calvin. Other titles include My Book of Life by Angel, Keturah and Lord Death, and Tom Finder. Here's Rachel and Martine. We're visiting with Martine today. Welcome, Martine. Thank you. We are so excited today to talk to you a little bit about your work. So let's start kind of just at the beginning. Why did you become a writer? Oh, my goodness. Why did I become a writer? Well, um, my father was in the military. I'm pretty sure the story starts there. <laughs> and we moved a lot. And so I felt, I think I was kind of always the, the new kid. And sometimes we moved before I had a chance to make friends. And I think I really made friends with books and, um, and storytelling. Sometimes I would, I would write little stories and they, it felt like sort of rubbing a blankie against my face. I found them really comforting. <laughs> So that was kind of my beginning, and then I just I just always kind of turned to writing for fun as I grew up, and and wrote poems that were probably dreadful. And uh, I think that it was a big turning point for me um, when my fourth baby was born, and I really needed to get very very far away from my children and be back by the end of nap time. <laughs> I just needed some space and some something for me, something to really make me 
happy. And so when my kids were napping, I started to write more seriously, and and it kind of went from there. That's, that's part a, of the story. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> I, I love that it kind of alleviates the stress of life. Mm-hmm. I, I know that in your writing, you, you often write about these kind of hard topics. You, you address some real issues. So is that something you do now in your writing? Do you take these stressful issues and use your writing to help you kind of work through them? I, I, I think that there's always a personal connection between me and the story I'm writing. Where is my heart in here? I think that my first few books were maybe more about me. Then I sort of moved on and started to think about other people and some of the things that in the world that made me sad. Although I have to say, I don't always write about something. It's not like I pick a topic. I don't really write about topics. I write about, I write stories, I write about characters, and uh, the words kind of lead me on a certain direction, and then I start to figure out what's going on and what could possibly be happening. So, for example, when I wrote Tom Finder, which is about a homeless boy, I, I was just writing about a boy running around a city and uh, for about 100 pages or so. And uh, suddenly I I thought, you know, why don't you go home? I don't even know who you are. (laughs) So I made him go home, and it seemed almost by accident that he went home and crawled into a cardboard box. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized I was writing about a homeless boy. So how does this start? Do you really start with the characters like you did in Tom Finder, or...? other things that start the inspiration to create those characters? Uh, So my book of life by Angel, um, I knew that as I was researching homelessness in young people, that eventually I would write about um, a young girl on the streets. And I felt like I couldn't really uh, speak honestly about that topic without venturing into the realm of prostitution. So I knew for a long time that I would eventually write something about this character that was in my mind. I put it off for a really long time. I knew that it would not it would be a really devastating um, time for me to inhabit that character fully and to really understand what goes on. So in this case, I was sort of very much led into that subject matter, but I couldn't do it until I had a character. It was through my character's voice that I was able to explore because everyone's story is unique. You can't ever just write in general about a topic. You have to find one, one character to see everything through their eyes, through her eyes. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. But, you know, why do you think that these particular characters or in particular characters that are dealing with these kind of really rough life situations are stories that really need to be told? I think sometimes people think, oh, I don't want my children to read these kind of, of rough stories, but right. they need to be told. They need to be out there. So how do you answer that question? I think that we can often trust our kids to know what they want 
what they're ready for. They'll know when to put a book down, too, if it's if it's more than what they want. Um, but as far as books written in general, um, I really think that sometimes stories have to challenge us. Sometimes stories ask something of us that we don't necessarily want to to give. I think sometimes that stories make us think deeply about things. They make us ask big questions to which there's no easy answers. We want to understand. I really think that one of the imperatives of the faithful is to grow in compassion. And how can we grow in compassion if we only read books about people like us or if we only read books that make us feel good? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes we have to go places and have our souls enlarged a little bit and engage with the world in a way that is sort of outside our normal realm. That's one of the things that I find thematic through a great majority of your books is this sense of faith and hope um, that is so oh, fundamental. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's fundamental to you as a person, I think, but also fundamental to your characters and your writing. So how much of that type of thing or even your characters come from that real life experience or your understanding as a writer? Oh, I think it underlies every word I think it underlies my approach, my reason for writing, the way I write, understanding that um, that I'm helped at every step of the way. It has to do with the, the words I choose. It has to do with just the way I feel about writing in general. Does that kind of answer that the does that does I think that's a really interesting thing about art in general is it really does take us to this transcendent place and as the creator we're able to move to this sense of new knowledge and new experience but creation like this isn't done in a vacuum you have other people helping you mm-hmm. so Martinez we're kind of closing up today yeah. how do you, how do you work with that relationship particularly when this is so emotional for you how do you negotiate with an editor to help you make it better well I am incredibly blessed with two brilliant editors Margaret Ferguson at Forest Rousherou, and she works also with uh, Shelley Tanaka at Groundwood Books in Canada. And they are incredibly respectful. They understand my work sometimes better than I do. <laughs> they, um, they are demanding. They have a vision for wanting the work to be as close to perfection as can possibly be. And I love them dearly for that. I, I get that from most authors. They always say how much they enjoy this kind of collaborative experience that's Absolutely. with editors. And I think it's interesting, particularly for children, to understand that the book just doesn't come out fully formed. <laughs> There's changes right. and revisions. So oh, how do you approach major, that process? That was a major moment in my writing life that I think I didn't mention before, is that I thought that writers 
literally sat down and wrote the story from beginning to end, you know, in this nice linear fashion, and then it was published. And of course, nobody does it that way. It's always a very messy process. Somebody once said, there's no such thing as writing, only rewriting, and that is absolutely true. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on and and help us understand your process and and share your work with with our listeners. It's been such a pleasure. It's a real honor to be on BYU Radio. That was young adult author Martine Levitt on Worlds Awaiting, talking about her books. We'll finish the show today with Rob Driggs, a pre-med student and announcer on Classical 89 Radio in Provo, Utah. Clara Goodwin of the World's Awaiting Team talks to Rob about his favorite things about books and those that have left a lasting impression. We're here today with Rob Driggs, who works with Classical 89 doing Friday Favorites, where fans talk about some of their favorite classical music. And today we decided to turn the tables a little bit and ask him (laughs) about some of his favorite things involving books and literature. So, Rob, do you have any memories from when you were younger involving childhood books and how that influenced you when you were a child? Yeah, I do. Probably some of my best memories were reading books with my mom. Read tons of Dr. Seuss growing up, and I feel like it was just more of a bonding time for me and my mom. Whether I really learned tons at home reading from with her, I'm not really sure, but it was just a good bonding time with her. In your opinion, what do you think makes a book good? I feel like when I was a kid, I was only interested in the pictures, the illustrations. Good illustrations made a really good book. Now I'm more for the plot. If I can get hooked within the first 50 pages, I'll finish it. So a good plot and good illustrations will probably still get me. What do you think it is about books that really leave a lasting impact on people's lives? I like good moral like plots something that teaches me a life lesson and kind of inspires me. So any book that has good characters that make me fall in love with the story as well as teach me a good lesson about life that I can then put into practice in my own life is really good. And is there any specific book that left a lasting influence on you? Probably. Actually, two come to mind. One was King Bidgood's in the bathtub and he won't get out. I loved it for the illustrations. It's about a, it's about a king who doesn't want to get out of the bath, and the, the court brings all the fun activities to his bath. So they bring the fishing to him, they bring the feast to him, and they bring the battle to him. And I loved looking at the pictures because they're really intricate details of really good chickens and roast and the fishing, and they have these little toy soldiers during the battle part. Loved that, more just because it was curious to me as a child. Um, one that left a lasting impression would probably be one that was... Um, I think it's entitled Mother, I Love You. Not quite sure. Um, But there's a poem at the very end that they say at the end of each section, I guess. And my mom put it to music, uh, a tune. And I actually just found out recently that she made up the tune herself. I had no idea. But my mom will still sing that to me occasionally, and it's just something special for us. Over the years, how has your relationship with reading grown and developed? I feel like I... And I read more out of my own free will. Not that I have tons of time, because I really don't, but when I do read, it's because I want to. And I think that intrinsic desire helps me fall in love with books more. And I choose books that I, I find interesting rather than having to read them for a certain class. So when I'm intrinsically motivated to read a book, I find more enjoyment out of it. And if you had to take one book or a small library of books to Desert Island, which books would you choose? The first series that comes to mind is The Chronicles of Narnia. I read those a little when I was a kid, and I've recently started to reread them, and they are super enjoyable. Uh, I love the plot, the characters are endearing, and 
they also have good life lessons. I, not that I've read them, but I would love to bring a whole bunch of just classics, classic literature that you probably have to read in certain English classes. I haven't read them, but I want to. That was Rob Driggs, pre-med student and announcer on Classical 89, talking about books that have made a lifelong impression. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.